I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. All right, so this is the second time I've done Discomfort Running Buddies. The first one was back in April with my friend, Catherine Garner, an artist. And this is my second one. And so the idea behind Discomfort Running Buddies is that I talk to my in-real-life friends about discomfort because the idea with running buddies is you go further faster together. So I am joined today by someone who is one of my really good friends here in Barcelona. And we have talked a lot about the subject we're going to talk about today. So first I'll introduce him. This is my good friend, Luis Amaro. He is an art director and designer. And in fact, he's my designer. So if you follow me on Instagram, you will see my posts and they are made by the lovely Luis sitting here across from me today. And he also comes to my yoga classes on Wednesday night because, cool fact about Luis, he is a pro wrestler who goes by the name Chacao, which is awesome. So we can you can find him on Instagram. I'll definitely post him below because his pictures alone are worth just looking. But he's also Venezuelan, and that is a large part of why we're having this conversation today, because he moved here four years ago. And I have several Venezuelan friends And I explain Venezuelans thus, there are those who left a long time ago, and there are those who left more recently, and that is the difference between the trauma they have experienced, because we'll talk about Venezuela, the situation there, and why it has actually been quite traumatic. So I'm also going to talk a bit about trauma. So we're going to, we're going to be talking about trauma today, because it's an uncomfortable topic, obviously, but it's one that a lot of us experience and it's relative. I think most people have experienced trauma in some way in their lives. I would go so far as to say everyone has experienced trauma. Um, And it's something that fascinates me because it's about how we are affected in our nervous systems, how that programs us and what we expect from life, and then how we move through that, how it makes us or breaks us essentially. So welcome, Luis. It's lovely to have you. Thank you for that amazing introduction. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. So I always love introducing you because I love watching people's faces when I'm like, and he's also a pro wrestler, which is awesome. So Yeah, you always do that when like, oh, he's Luis, he's a pro wrestler. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> love it. Okay, so we're going to obviously talk about our traumas today. So let's start with, based on that, what is an uncomfortable moment or a couple that have shaped you? And who you are and how you are in the world. Well, there is like uh, several moments reg- uh, regarding my country. Mm-hmm. There's two moments. One was when I was kidnapped. And the other one was when a gun was fired to my face. But fortunately enough, I mean, it, it misfired. It, so it jammed. And- it jammed. The gun jammed. And the guy said, well, it's your lucky day, run away. But when they tell you like your life flashes before your eyes, it actually does. And makes you see all the things that you have done, all the opportunities that you have missed. And obviously it's uncomfortable because, I mean, you're there 
you see everything in slow motion and everything go by in slow motion. And I was being mocked. And uh, the only reason why he was going to fire uh, a gun at me it was because I only had an iPod. I didn't have any more money to give him or whatever. So he was like, I'm going to shoot you to death now. And for me, it was like, I remember arriving home and that day my brother was visiting me in Caracas uh, and he saw me like super pale white and I'm not that pale white. I actually tan. <laughs> so he was like, what's going on? I was like, uh, this happened. And from that on, from that moment on, I started to be like more on the lookout, more trying to, you know, not to be around dark alleys or whatever. And it wasn't that I wasn't a dark alley, but also it made me feel like powerless. Mm-hmm. Made me feel like, you, you know, I hate this. Even though it was a gun, no one could do something towards a gun. But that was what made me take uh, boxing classes mm-hmm. and kickboxing. I was used to do Kung Fu back then, but it made me retake that uh, personal defense kind of stuff. Because, yeah, I hate feeling powerless. So you turned it into empowerment. All right, now we have to move on to being kidnapped. Yeah, being kidnapped. Actually, there is that's a long story, so I hope people have time for that. Um, it was, to put everything in context, it was 2014, and there was a lot of protest against the Venezuelan government. And... I was working back then in Caracas, which is not my hometown. I'm from the inner cities. And I was working there nearby the places where the main protests were. I remember they told us, like, leave early because it might get a protest. To put a little bit of background story, there was uh, riots every week, every day, every week. And, yeah, I was part of that because I believed in that the Venezuelan government was, wasn't doing right. It's still not doing right. But I didn't believe in, in a violent response to do that because it was just chaos, people destroying stuff. And I was like, I want to help, but how, how, what I can do? So I took a paramedics course, and like a quickly course, and I want to help, you know, have like my Red Cross uh, band, like Green Cross in this, in this mm-hmm. case, to help people. And I remember that day, it was uh, February the 21st, one of the biggest riots that happened and it extended for like, um, I will say 10 hours probably, wow. 10 hours of just throwing Molotovs, me carrying people. I carry people like I, I forgot the number. I stopped counting at 30, wow. like taking people out of the gas to safety. I remember that I, have, I was wearing a mask. And I remember taking it out, taking it down just to show people my face like, hey, I'm a familiar face. I'm here to help you. Taking people out. At one moment during the riot, the armed forces just go away. They just disappear. And I was like, this is not a good sign. Then we hear the roar of, like, I will kick you not, 200 motorcycles. So we knew those were, and someone screams, uh, those are the guerrilla forces from the government. So I hid inside of the uh, inside of an empty fountain for two hours. It was like being on a trench in front of 
in front of a hotel. And I remember seeing through the reflection of the mirrors of the hotel and with my own two eyes, people being gone down, gone down the streets and me thinking they're going to find me. And I'm here all alone. My family doesn't know I'm here because my cell phone broke that day also. (sighs) And no one knows I'm here. They're going to kill me. And I'm just going to be a random number in a ditch. And eventually they found us. They didn't kill us. But they did put us in a van and drove us around the whole city for, I will say, eight hours. Just uh, mentally torturing us. And I remember a guy telling me and a girl that was next to me, I'm going to put my rifle, it was an M16, I'm going to put my M16 up your ass and I'm going to shoot it. And I try not to be startled by that because I don't want to give them the pleasure of that. But obviously the girl right next to me already thought of that before he said it. And she started to cry. And I was like trying to hold her hand, like, be, I mean, be still. Don't give them the pleasure. Eventually I was released And uh, I arrived home and I realized that everyone was looking for me (laughs) because people from the hotel that I was in front of, they knew me and they told told a friend, they told a friend, another friend, hey, hey, Luis was kidnapped. Luis Luis was taken. By the police. By the police, yeah. yeah. Luis was taken by the police and the armed forces, but it's basically the same. And they started like move those around the city. I remember they asked me where I lived. And I lived to the southwest part of Caracas, but I something told uh, told me like say you lived somewhere else, and I said I live to the northeast part of town, and they started to you know dropping people by like oh you live here I was like no I don't live here you live here, and it's like another part of the city at five a.m. when Caracas is dangerous at all times, but especially at, at that that time. Mm. And actually, I, got, I was lucky enough because uh, lucky enough and smart enough to actually tell them the opposite side of town, and they dropped me off in nearby my house. <laughs> Near, I mean, I will say like Crap. like three kilometers away from my house, but not the other side of town. Like when I was like, "No, you live here." I was like, "No, no, I don't live here." Oh no, I'm so far away. I was trying to pretend yeah. it because I was like, "Oh my god, it worked." Yeah. It worked. So I guess what that brings us to is, well, you get a bit of a taste of the history of Venezuela, recent history of Venezuela. Because I I was telling Luis, I have quite a few Venezuelan friends. And just growing up, the 80s and 90s, hearing about Venezuela, because it has the biggest oil reserves in the world. It was just like the best country in South America. It was wealthy. It was a place I always wanted to go and, you know, work on my Spanish because your accent's kind of awesome. But then by the time I got around to it, you know, it's it's a failed state. And understanding that you've gone from this sort of affluent, you know, not bad childhood to living someplace where you can walk down the street and a child will shoot you in the face for your trainers is, wow, the trauma of that. And also like, then you moved, right? You left Venezuela. And even the story of leaving Venezuela, you can't let on that you're leaving. You can't really say goodbye to your family because you have to fake it that you're going to come back or they won't let you leave. Right? Exactly. That, that, that's actually what happened at the airport. I remember having my, my two suitcases. Uh, my brother and my mom were at the airport. And I remember telling my mom, and my mom's super sentimental, God bless her. And I remember telling my mom, don't cry. 
Because if they see you crying, they know I'm not coming back. Mm. And they will stop me several times. And actually they did. They checked my bags like five times. Like I was trafficking drugs. Mm. And I, this is just a bunch of clothes. Yeah. But how has that shaped you? Like how is that extraordinary amount of discomfort that's beyond most people's imaginations? How has that made you who you are? Because you've actually been diagnosed with PTSD. Yeah, right? actually, that uh, yeah, a fun fact. Since you can go to therapy here in Europe, and actually, I checked this because I got COVID during December, and I wanted to check my medical, my public medical records, and there was also the my therapist uh, records there. I was like, huh, I wonder what he put in there, and he put uh, post-traumatic stress, mm. uh, PTSD, and I was like. No kidding. <laughs> I do have it. And how did it shape me? I think that it shaped me um, really protective of my friends when I'm in the streets or when I'm, or whenever, or whatever I am. I'm always the one on the lookout. If we were in the party and everyone's, I don't know, getting drunk or just let loose, I'm always like trying to be aware. Uh, how did it shape me in something in some ways that some people realize and some people don't? When I arrive at a restaurant, my back's never facing the exit. Like I always have to be aware of mm. what is happening. Mm. And actually, yeah, I mean, like it shaped me into a protective kind of guy, but in a in a good way. I mean, I tried to carry it like like a like a badge of honor. And it's funny because I did like. While looking for a job, I did something that I call the human uh, curriculum, which is, for example, being a paramedic is not a job that I officially had, but I put it in my resume because it's something that shaped me mm. because a resume shows where you were, where you worked, but this shows who I am. Mm. Actually, who I am is a person that is protective. It's a person that it, was, it will always help you. And it shaped me to be a helpful person. Mm. This is something that I really admire about you because I know, you know, the source of it was trauma and probably a bit of natural personality, but you kind of have this, you wear it as a vigilance that kind of makes you more Captain America than somebody who you, you worry about who needs to go to therapy. Well, to talk about trauma that way, because I mean, I'm going to share a bit of my own what's an uncomfortable traumatic moment that's really shaped who you are. And, and this is really uncomfortable for me because it's very personal and it's about my family. And I want to do this with respect because my parents did the best they could with what they had at the time. But I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian family, so maybe some, some listeners can relate to this. And I can feel myself getting emotional even bringing it up. And my parents firmly believed that it was their job as the parents, as the sort of authority of God in my life, to spank me. Uh, when they thought I was out of line, but I was also kind of singled out as the bad kid because I was, I've never been passive aggressive. I've never been passive about anything in my entire life. And so from the age of about year and a half, two years old, I was spanked almost every day of my life. And what that means is it was quite ritualistic actually. And I've had some therapists over the years who've been horrified about it who one in Britain was like, Betsy, if this happened in this country, your parents would be in jail. So it's, you know, to the level of, of just, again, they're not, they're not sadistic people, but you know, I would be, I'd have to go into my parents' bedroom and bend over and they would hit me with a very thick stick until I cried. I had to cry. Whoa. And then I had to uh, apologize for whatever it was they told me I'd done wrong. And sometimes it was just about saying no to something I didn't want to do. 
which Whoa. is kind of normal as a four-year-old or yeah, a six-year-old or so up to the age of 14, almost every day. And it's, I don't know why they stopped when I was 14, but there's this belief in my kind of, you know, sect of Christianity I grew up in, which is independent Baptist of, uh, that's the age of accountability. It's the age when you become an adult and you're no longer a child to be corrected. And so one day they just stopped. But as I've learned more about neuroscience and childhood development, I understand that children are incapable of critical thought until they're seven. That's when you start to be able to understand the world a little differently. But by the time you're seven, your script is set. Whoever your authority figures, your caretakers are up to that point in your life have shown you how the world works. So to me, the world worked as a place where authority figures are out to get you and punish you. And I'm, I'm bad. So that was something that I then, my nervous system was wired to vibe at that level. And therefore I repeated that pattern in bosses, in partners hmm. of just taking on the mantle of being bad and actually getting into some bullying situations at work and being, you know, in some emotionally or slightly scary relationships, romantic relationships in my twenties and, and thirties actually. So that's, that really shaped me. But what that drove me to was actually now having kind of reclaimed that through knowledge of how things work, how my nervous system works. And rather than wearing that as a victim, seeing it as something that I'm allowed to rewire and those, those cracks become the beautiful things that you mend. So I always forget what it's called in Japanese, kintsukoi, kintsugoi or something, where they mend broken bowls yeah, with, with gold. Yeah, with gold. Yeah, yeah. I know that. And the, the breakages are the bits that become the beautiful parts. And so that, to me, it's it shaped my perspective. And like you with your trauma, like it's shaped us to be who we are now, conscious of others and caretaking of others and protective of others. But also I think we prioritize ourselves and yeah, our self-care too because – We've had to reclaim something that was maybe broken because of external forces in our lives. And we've, we've reclaimed that and made that a positive part of ourselves that we're actually proud of. Yeah, I mean, I actually wear it like, like of course, I don't wear PTSD like a badge of honor. It's something that I have to live with and try to work it. That, that's why, for example, I use pro wrestling for that. Mm. Some of my characters based on, on my PTSD from Venezuela. But also, I, I wanted the, the good parts, you know, being protective, being always on the lookout, like my friends can relax. And also, I don't, I'm, I'm not stressed about being on the lookout of, of a situation. I, ju I just do. Like when we go in hikes, I'm always it's like standing in the back and always checking around. People see me like do a turnaround. It's like, yeah, I'm checking that we are not being followed because we're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's wired into you, though. It's wired into me, but it, I'm, I'm not even mad about it. And I wear it like a badge of honor. And I mean, being a pro wrestler, I I'm going to quote a pro wrestler. And it's Dusty Rhodes who said, eh, hard times breed better men. Mm -hmm. And I went through hard times. And sometimes like last year, I still went through hard times. But also, eh, it shaped who I am. And I tried to take the knowledge And try to, okay, what is the situation going to teach me about it? Mm. Because one of the, I will say, good sides about going through that trauma is that allows you to see dangerous situations in slow motion. Like your, your brain is faster mm. in, the, in that sort of way. Like, okay, there is like when I arrive to a place and I know it's a place that I'm not gonna 
I'm not, I don't feel comfortable or either I don't dominate the landscape, I try to search for exit routes right away. Mm. And once, if, if something breaks out, my muscles are trained for that. Like my memory is trained for that to just look for the quick way out. But also uh, in a more spiritual way rather than physical, it, it made me be more understanding about other people's pain. Mm. And also be me being like realizing like last year that I'm highly an empath. Like sometimes I catch on people's uh, feelings and made it my own. Like the, the other day, like probably three weeks, three weeks ago, my roommate was going through a hard day. And I remember like me feeling bad. And I stopped myself and asked her, hey, are you having a bad day? Like, are you having a horrible day at work? And she was like, yes. Like, oh, I thought it was me. Do you want to talk about it? Mm. I was like, yeah, I mean, we, we'll talk about it at lunch because I'm super busy right now. I was like, okay, completely, that's fine. But I acknowledge her day and I also realized it wasn't my feelings. That yeah, were- ooh, that's really important because that is a sign of trauma. And and I've had that too. I always, I used to pride myself and before I really understood trauma that I could walk in the room and I knew the emotional temperature of the room immediately. And I thought that was empathy, but it was actually trauma. But recognizing the difference and realizing then you need to think, ah, this is not my emotion. Yeah. Yet the boundaries of it and understanding how you naturally react because you've been traumatized, actually, and recognizing this is these are not my emotions. Because I still find it really a struggle as well when somebody I care about or somebody in authority is having a bad day or is projecting to not take that on. And it's really useful to know that about yourself and also know that that comes from trauma. So there needs to be a boundary there to keep yourself sane and healthy. Yeah, the exercise that I did that day when I realized was like, okay, what am I feeling? I'm feeling uneasiness. Mm. I'm feeling nervous, but I have nothing to feel nervous about today. So why am I feeling nervous? I was like, no, I was catching up this friend because she was starting a new job that week. I was like, oh, these are not my feelings, you know? Yeah. So do you find you're more absorbent? More absorbent to my surroundings at all times. Yeah. And that also actually helps because, yeah, I like to help all of my friends. And even if you're a new friend, sometimes we become closer because I'm naturally a caregiver. Mm. I like to help people and people like to help me because as I have realized during this last year, like, and I was like, huh, I don't deserve this. But, but then again, I was like, yes, I do deserve it. I'm a good person. Mm. So one thing that PTSD does to you and trauma does to you, is like, you feel like you don't deserve help. You feel like you don't deserve the good things that happen to you. But then I, I, I'm trying my best to, break that cycle of yes i mean if people are helping me it's because i deserve it it's because i'm a good person mm-hmm. and it's because i earned this mm-hmm. it's not because i'm a i'm an asshole or stupid that it's just mean to everybody and they're just helping me out of pity no they're helping me because i'm good mm-hmm. they're helping me because i deserve it and they, they are sure they don't expect it but they are sure that they will help that i will help them if the time is needed yeah, which is just friendship and, and also love, because that's something that I've had to work on as well, is coming from a place of, of kind of being, it it just was absorbed into my script of I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. And, you know, still even into adulthood, the stories my family repeat about me 
are always like when I was two and I wouldn't take a nap and it took two people to hold the door closed and just like always how naughty I was and realizing that I don't have to accept that script, that story about myself anymore because it's gotten in the way of accepting love as well. So as I've learned to have healthier relationships and have a healthier relationship with myself, that's really important because how has, how would you say trauma has impacted your relationship with yourself? Like, did, did you feel undeserving? How did it make you feel about yourself? For a while, for a long while, I felt undeserving of good things. Mm. Because, yeah, I mean, it was a bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. I was like, what is going on? I mean, should I drop dead and that's it? And, and, and end it? But it was like, no, I mean, mm, I, will, I will endure it. And one thing that some of my friends have told me, like, I don't know how you do it, but you keep enduring the hard times. And I was like, yeah, I mean, one day I will look back on the bad things and I will, I will be like proud of making it, you know, but for longest time I felt undeserving until I decide, decided to break that. Like, mm. no, I'm a good person. If bad thing happens to me, yeah, that's a bad streak. It happens. But that won't stop me from looking at the good things in the world. Yeah. There's, a, I remember, a verse in the book of Job, which is the ultimate shit show. You know, Job was a good man to whom many bad yeah. things happened. But it's like the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So it's just life. Like, crappy things happen to everybody. It's just about how you choose to see it as I deserve it or it's just life. But yeah, same. When, when I go through hard times or whatever. COVID was the ultimate teacher for me. Uh, hard time. I know. But also that enforced stillness and like all of my work stopped for nine months. And actually, rather than seeing it as like, oh, I deserve this. What's going on? How can I fix this? Just kind of learning to flow with it. And it became such a creative time. I mean, we met during 2020. We met in 2020, which was such a traumatic year. But I met good people. Yeah. I deepened great friendships. I, I got really creative. And I also, in that stillness of not doing to earn love, because that's what my trauma has taught me, that I have to work my butt off to earn approval, to earn love. And it's still never good enough. I still have bosses who are like, man, you know, you can do better. You're not as good as you think you are. Or partners who just, it, it's just never been good enough for them in the past. And I've, you know, healed that. So that's long past. But that stillness of not being able to do anything really was a trauma healer for me, actually. The lockdown here in Barcelona, the stillness of 2020 was actually a real dose of good therapy. Finishing school, I hope, but I mean, there's always more work to do. But yeah, I mean, it's made me certainly more resilient to come from, to have had that trauma. And when I finally realized what was going on and the patterns I was repeating because of my trauma, it allowed me to gain much healthier resilience rather than repeating the patterns and continuing to traumatize myself through repeating those patterns. Yeah, I mean, I know it's an obvious question, but how has your trauma actually made you more resilient? And I have like proof of this during 2020 because COVID and 2020 was like yeah. the worst year for everyone. But resilient, for example, I'm looking for a job right now and I have sent so many emails, dropped so many uh, curriculums, like literally drop at offices, bars or whatever. And I had gotten more rejection letters or rejection emails than actually positive. And I'm still going, I'm still 
go strong. I still go with the same uh, the same impulse and the same positivity that I go every day because you. I mean, there is a uh, there is a, I think it's a Pablo Neruda poem that says uh, you you'll never know who will fall in love with your smile. So never stop smiling. I think it's Pablo Neruda. Excuse me if if I. It's a good line. But, but it's a good line. And it, it just doesn't mean love. It means like if you keep on smiling, keep being like not a fake positivity. Like, you know, yeah. one day you're going to make it. One day you're going to break through. And another poem that got me through 2020 was If by Rudyard Kipling that a friend of mine t- told me. And I was like, yeah, all these lines on this poem speak to me. And yes, I it, the first thing that helped me grow during 2020 and all the trauma that I have been through is building a peace of mind, mm-hmm. being okay by the, with the things that happened to me. Like, okay, it happened to me not because I, I, I didn't do it to myself. It, hap- it, it just happened. And even if I did it to myself, it happened. I have nothing to do dwelling in the past and, and saying, Oh, what if I acted differently? There is no way I can go back to that time and and fix it. There is no mm-hmm. time machine yet. But, <laughs> no, but, I mean, I'd rather learn from that because you can learn from the past. You can revisit the, the things that you have done and it's like, oh, probably next time, if this happens again, I will act different. Mm. I will make a mental note of this. Because you also are interested in study practice stoicism right talk to us about stoicism because i know so many so (laughs) many men i men in particular it's very masculine it's very masculine it's very masculine but it's something that a lot of men i'm close to and respect are really fans of marcus aurelius stoicism like i see you know the same book on every bookshelf yeah talk to us about stoicism well actually i discovered that through a friend through the same friend that taught me uh if Hmm. Uh, his name is Johan. He's Catalan. He's one of the best friends I have. And he he was reading this book. Uh, he was a daily quote about Stoicism, like for 365 quotes. I was like, huh, that's nice. And he gave it to me. He gave it, He gave me a copy. And I was like, and I started reading about Stoicism and investigating about Stoicism. And I was like, huh, I always had this line of thought. Never thought it was like, you know, a whole current of that. And it's basically, you know, making peace with the things that that happened. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't control, you can't control if you miss the bus. You can't control if your partner breaks up with you. You can't control if you lose your job. You can control how you react to it. Mm -hmm. And that's what the thing that you have power on. You, your reaction to the world. You miss the bus, you know, it, it happens. One. There yeah. will be another one. Or yeah. you can take a bike. Or that's why I use a bike at all times. <laughs> and like, for example, uh, this year, my bike got stolen. Uh, yeah. And I was like, everyone knew, me. The everyone that knows me knows that the bike, that bike was an extension of myself. And I was like, damn. Yeah. But I kept on doing what I was doing, what was unloading the, the, the wrestling ring out of the place that would make a show. The next day, my friends, my friends called me to the dojo. Hey, could you come over to the dojo for a minute? I was like, okay, this is weird. And when I went there, they all pitched in money and got me a new one. 
like not even 24 hours after. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I control, like, I was pissed. I was mad. I went to the police and said, hey, my, my bike was stolen. Which in Barcelona <clears throat> happens. If you have a bike, it will get stolen. It's a yeah. certainty. And I had, and I, and I had a, a chain and everything. Yeah. But the next day, I had, I had a bike. Yeah. I had a bike. And white, and, and also like a three long, uh, three pages long letter of telling, of all my friends telling, I don't know. Like the main line was, we don't know how you make, how you do it, but you keep on doing it. You keep on grinding. You keep on fighting. And that's one thing we admire of you. Mm -hmm. And I never like, that's one of the few times that people have told me like, you're a fighter and we don't know how you do it, but keep on doing it. One mm -hmm. of my roommates told me like, dude, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you keep on showing up to interviews. Keep on, you know, keep on being a fighter every day and being helpful to everybody mm. and uh, like uh, like i said earlier like i was looking i'm looking for a job but i have all jobs and no job <laughs> like i help one of my best friends to build a bar in his distillery <laughs> i have worked as a delivery guy i have worked as a translator i have done a bunch of things in 2020 that showed me who I am, that I'm a versatile kind of person. And, but most of all, I like to help. Mm. And if you're on a career track and you never gotten knocked off it, you wouldn't have necessarily learned no, those things. No, exactly. About myself. I yeah. will probably st still be on the same track. Yeah. So even though uh, the things that happen, and that's one thing that you have to learn about your trauma. Okay. Yeah, it sucks that this happened to you whatever trauma it is some something is you know a fam family friend died or yeah you got uh, god forbid sexually assaulted yeah. but there is a lot of things that you can learn from the trauma yeah. you know because for the first thing you have to know is that you didn't deserve this mm -hmm. make a peace with this you didn't deserve for this for you to happen for it to happen to you but how can you learn from this? Yeah. What's the story going what's, to be? Yeah. What's the story going to be? How are you going to tell the story as a victim? Yeah. Or as, or as, or as a survivor? Yeah. Well, I think we've both touched on the fact that we've both had some useful therapy. And I remember having a really great therapist in London for about a year, Jungian. So we did a lot of shadow stuff, masculine, feminine, family stuff. And... I had had people for years be like, wow, you have a compelling backstory because it sort of doesn't give away where I'm from. You know, I was, I came from a fundamentalist Christian family. I was homeschooled. My parents are the kind of people who at the time, I don't know if the story is still the same in their minds now, but my brothers were required to get an education because they were men. And for me and my sister it was optional. So oh. I went and got myself an education. I didn't really have much help from them. And then when I decided to get a master's degree, they, my mother literally said to me, she's like, I don't know why you need a master's degree except to feed your own ego because they couldn't imagine why a woman would need a master's degree. So I sort of exist in this sphere of people oh. who are like me now, but a lot of them come from a very different background and kind of don't understand, don't know, because I don't talk about it often anymore. Yeah. That I come from a very different background, you know, sort of, I hate the term self-made because there's no such thing as a self-made person. You're no. the sum of all You're the, of the people it, who've contributed. Exactly. That's that's why I like when yeah. I meet someone new and I try to 
analyze them, but not in a mean way, like oh, I'm analyzing you. No, I try to see because you're the sum of the of your best friends, yeah. actually. Yeah. So I try to see. Okay, I, I and I see your personality, but then if I'm fortunate fortunate enough to meet your friends, I was like, oh, he acts like him. Yeah. He acts yeah. like her, and and you can see the sum of people. Yeah. And actually, it's funny because. I can see the sum of the people that that I'm closer with in my actions today. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see when I cooked for my friends, when I when I take care of people, when I try to give a good advice or just a random hug because someone needs it. If we can get a hug because COVID. Yeah, we're we're getting back to this. Yeah, but but it's also like it's fun when you said like no one knows your background once yeah. you. You know, I'm into comic books, and it's funny that you yeah you touched Captain America by quoting me. But everyone has a different um, origin story. Mm, it doesn't origin have story. doesn't have to be like oh you. You were in a shitty country, as I was. No, you you were in a. I mean, I, I grew up in a good country. I grew up. I my childhood. I, I always pride myself saying, like, we're the last generation that drink water from a faucet on the street while playing football. Yeah. Because yeah, then what happened to Venezuela? Yeah, because I remember my mom telling me, "Come back, come back by uh, the sunset." Yeah. And we didn't have cell phones. I was just playing football and baseball on the streets. Yeah. And then I came back at 6 p.m. Yeah. every day. But then that you don't see kids in the streets anymore. No. I because I was thinking about the backstory thing. It's it's something that I realized was something I wore as a, a burden, as armor that I was stuck in. And even though it was a really compelling backstory, because I would get into it and people's eyes would widen and their jaws would drop, you know, as I sort of because I lived in the UK where that kind of background is really uncommon. And the, the source of my trauma that I mentioned earlier is also like really unacceptable and illegal. You know, like yeah. if people beat their children. Um, it took me years to actually term it at like that and really being pushed by a therapist to be like, Betsy, it was not okay. It was not okay. But I remember saying to her, you know, telling her the story and she's like, ah, that's a pretty good backstory. How's that working for you? <laughs> and I realized that Sometimes you have to let go of the backstory in order to progress, yeah, to like exactly. move on in your life and see it with more grace as well, because I actually bear no bitterness toward my parents. They were just doing, they were doing what they were doing and yeah. they didn't mean any, anything bad by it. They were really trying their best, even though I completely disagree now with you know, <laughs> how they did it, how they carried it out. But it's made me really aware that you never know someone's backstory. Yeah. And it's also, it's why I love interviewing people because I know most people don't under, they have no idea where I come from or or what my backstory is. They make assumptions about me as like this sort of relatively accomplished professional who's middle you class. Never, and You never know what no, people went through. But I love the stories because I know. No, like, I love the stories. My story's interesting. Your story's interesting. Most people have an interesting story that you just, you don't know about underneath the how they present themselves now. And that's so fascinating. I think that's what my background, you know, trauma, whatever, has taught me is look for the look for the story. Who is this person really? Yeah. And also it's funny because um all the trauma and how you deal with it is in the core I will I will get like super spiritual here, but this is the martial artist talking. Uh, it it's also to the core of your soul of who you are because when I was kidnapped I never thought I, I never crossed my mind like 
oh, I did it because, I, I mean, this happened to me because I was being a good person being helpful. I will stop helping people. Mm. I was like, no. I mean, this happened to me because, yeah, it was the risk of the situation. I know. I know what's getting into, even though I had like the bracelet from from paramedic and the helmet and everything. It was like, yeah, they don't care, but I, will, I won't stop being good. Mm. Ooh, that's a really powerful line. Because you could just let bad things that happen, whatever they are. <laughs> whatever they are. You could let them really take you off track. They could let You could let them define you. Yeah, because if you let uh, bad situations define who you are in a bad way, mm. they will make you a bad person. Mm. And also, it's funny because, uh, I mean, I grew up reading comics. And I grew up like reading, you know, Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man. And always, like, when you see a difficult, for example, I don't know, Spider-Man stops being the Spider-Man because he doesn't want to, because he feels bad about all the bad things happen to him. But then he goes back because you, why? He likes helping people and he won't let the dark parts define who he is. Mm. Yeah, I think that's just, that's the best way to leave this because that's the message through all of this. Like, trauma is healable. There's really no reason not to. And it then becomes something of a, a, I think of it as, it's almost like an adventure or a game where whenever life throws something hard at you, you just think, ooh, what can I make with this? Yeah, exactly. Or how is this going to give me perspective or experience that I, I now have more empathy toward others because this thing has happened to me. And it can just, it can be turned into gold. It can become beautiful parts of you that you've healed and that you've moved past. And it's, yeah, it's just a, a way more beautiful way to live. And also to live your purpose in life. Exactly. If you're you, stuck in your trauma. You can't really live your yeah, purpose. Yeah, you can't control what happens outside of you. You can control what happens inside of you and how you react to it. Yeah. Well, back to the stoicism. Back, which, back to the stoicism. If yeah. anybody's like, hey, that's not very masculine. What I meant was, I know a lot more men who are into stoicism formally than women. But obviously, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, I talk about it as like, don't get stuck in your meta emotions, the yeah. story about your emotions. But yeah, it's just, it's such a useful reminder that you can change your interpretation of the story. And all of our memories are changing all of the time. So you get to consciously choose what your memory of something is or what it does to you and how that affects your level of anxiety in the world. And there's so much help out there. Like I've done so many things over the years to heal my chronic anxiety that was a result of that trauma and fear of authority figures. I, that's something I just don't talk about very much. Real anxiety around authority figures because because of my start in life with my, you know, primary authority figures in my life being people who, I, I was afraid of, I had anxiety around, you know, home was an anxious place for me. Wow. And, you know, I wouldn't cry in front of my family because that was a sign of weakness because they demanded it of me. So I didn't learn to cry until my thirties and now I cry all the time for everyone around me now, but learning to actually release healthy emotions and then also realize not all authority figures are out to get me because I still like have on occasion a little wobble where it's like, a, a boss or a client or somebody with more power than me. And I realize I have anxiety that has no correlation to the situation, but it's just my nervous system reacting in a way that it's used to. So then I have, I have techniques. I have EFT tapping where I'll just do this little karate chop tap on my hand and repeat a mantra about like, I'm releasing this trauma or I breathe. Yeah. Breathing is helps. Oh, breathing is magical. Just 
getting into your belly with your breath and deepening your breath, which signals to your nervous system that it can switch off the cortisol and the stress reactions and your body automatically calms, which if anybody is listening, just take four deep breaths. It really helps. But all these techniques that are in recognition that I, you know, somebody listening might relate to this. We might never completely move past that reaction that's been wired into us, but we can manage it. We can be a we can acknowledge it. We can be gracious toward ourselves. You can our make trauma. the best of it. Yeah. And be gracious toward yourself and realize there's nothing wrong with you that you have that stressed or anxious reaction. It's your nervous system. Yeah. And but, that you can live differently. Yeah, you can learn to live with it. Like, yeah, for example, when, when you were saying that, uh, I, w- I was thinking, like, I never stop letting my guard down when I'm outside with my friends or whatever and that's fine that's just the way i'm wired and i'm happy with it (laughs) sometimes it's stressful yes i mean i won't deny it but it is just who i am and if it keeps me and keeps my friends safe i'm happy with it yeah you are the bit of the yoda figure in my friend group i'm just like louis just sitting there watching all knowing it's not like guard dog it's very more like no yeah jedi Uh, Thank you. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. But yeah, I hope that for anybody listening to this, I know it's, it's uncomfortable listening to hear people talk about their trauma, but hopefully like here we are as positive people, both trying to do some good in the world and enjoying our lives and trauma hasn't derailed us. We're not traumatized people. We're not defined by the traumatic experiences that we've gone through. Think because in your intro you always say like outside of this comfort there are superpowers yeah. and me being a comic book believer I always say like yeah after your trauma you can discover your superpower yeah think about that I mean think about okay whatever happened to you try to explore it and what what's the teaching behind this yeah. where yeah where has trauma your trauma whatever it is because it's all relative. You know, you don't have to have been kidnapped. No, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to, be, oh, God forbid. Yeah, but if you can relate to this, if you if you recognize that you've had some trauma, just saying this to anybody listening, how how is that leading you to superpowers? How can that be part of your superpowers? And get help if you need help. There's no shame in getting no, help. No, there's no shame in getting help. Mm-hmm. I got help. Betsy got help. Yeah. Everyone, I mean, you need to get, because you don't make it as an island alone. No. You need everyone. You need your friends. You need your, if you have good relatives, your relatives. Mm. You need a therapist to talk this thing out and, you know, to help you grow. It's like, think of us as a mentor that's giving you a flashlight for you to explore that cave and to discover who you are behind that trauma. The trauma does not define who you are in a bad way, but can lead you to discover some wonderful things about you. And it's perfectly acceptable to get help. And it might not be therapy if you just kind of go, therapy. It might be just going to Google some things about trauma release techniques. or Because remember, this is not made up. It's legit. It's stored in your body. It's stored in your nervous system. And you do need to do the work to release it. So don't avoid the work. Don't be afraid of the work because nothing that you can't handle lies underneath. It's all in you anyway. So it needs to be released, often very physically. You know, if there's anger there, 
it's a very physical emotion. Things get stored in the body. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And also like I teach yoga. You come to my classes and we know that when you start to release the body on a really deep level, sometimes emotions come out and you have yeah. no idea what they're related to. But, you know, I'll see people crying in my class or angry in my class and it's not related to the yoga. Yeah, middle of a stretch, you're a teeter. It's like, I, am I crying? <laughs> hip openers, maybe? Yeah, yeah hip openers, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's it. Just, you know, don't, don't shy away from the work. The work is the work. This is the project in this life that we're all here to do. And whatever it is you've encountered in life, is all for a reason. Yeah, and I also would like to, I just remember one line that my grandma told me, and you have heard about my grandma so many times. Yeah, your abuela's a superstar. <laughs> yeah, and she told me this line that got me through hard times and dark times. Like, it was, you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only option you have. Mm. So there's always this, you know, fortitude inside of you. I hope that you don't get to, you know, get to the point of, yeah, this is the only thing I have. But there's always a strong person inside of us. You just need to believe in yourself. Yeah. Those moments when you really think, I have nothing left. I can't pick myself up out of this situation. You will pick yourself up. There's always more. And you are stronger than you think you are. You're more resilient than you think you are. And those are the moments you learn your superpowers. Again, yeah. back to superpowers. We love superpowers around here. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess like anything you'd like to leave people with about trauma and how it's shaped you and made you this actually incredibly resilient, positive person. Because I know you've had some dark moments, but here you are still being Captain America. <laughs> Thank you for that. But also, <laughs> uh, I, get, uh, I blush when you say that because it's one of my favorite superheroes. But also, um, you never know where are you going to learn something. Mm. And even if you know, if you're in a situation that, yeah, I already know everything here. No. All, all I know is I know nothing. Why? Because if you make your brain like, oh, I already know this, you're not going to learn anything. So be open to knowledge mm. from every situation, traumatic or not traumatic, from every mundane situation. And you will find who you are and you will find and you will cultivate that. Once you know what you're working with, it gets easier. Yeah. And I think my final thought I would love to leave people with is everything can be your teacher if you let it. Building yeah. on exactly what you said, but everything can be your teacher and you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. And that's the more important thing. Like yeah. you will never walk alone. Yeah. Wow. This has been, I always love chatting to you, Luis, because we always end up with this just like, We're like cheerleaders together. It's just like this little pep rally of, you know, we've both gone through some stuff and we're both very strong individuals and our history and the things we've experienced have made us these people. And I think we both appreciate that about yeah. ourselves and our lives. So I hope to anyone listening, this has been uplifting and that if you do have your own trauma that you know about or you're realizing you have had some trauma, that it's something that helps you to discover your superpowers. So thank you for being here, Luis. Yeah, thank, thank you for, for inviting me. Thank you for just being awesome. <laughs> thank you to my team who helped me produce this podcast, to my brilliant editor, Dimitar Svetkov, to Thomas Sheffer for the original music, and to Luis Amaro for the original artwork. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help me reach new listeners by leaving me a five-star and written review on Apple Podcasts, following me on Spotify or anywhere else you love to listen to podcasts. 
You can also follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed. That's B-E-T-S-Y-R-E-E-D. If you're interested in bonus episodes and guided meditations I record regularly, head over to patreon.com and become a supporter. For the price of a coffee each month, you get access to a community. So there's really only one thing left to say. Thank you for spending time with me. Stay uncomfortable.